Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. We're on episode 117 of the podcast and really glad you're here. Hope you're having a great start to the new year. Hope you're building and growing your speaking business and, and I hope it's going well for you. Hey, we've got a great guest for you. We're going to be delivering here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to uh, quickly remind you, if you haven't already, we have a new guide to kick off 2017 that we want you to check out. It's seven steps on how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So whether you're a brand new speaker or you've been at it for a little while, wherever you're at in your business, we'd love for you to check this out. You can download it for free by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash guide. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash guide. You definitely want to check that out. All right, so today we're talking with my buddy Marcus Sheridan. Marcus runs the website thesaleslion.com, thesaleslion.com. And so in this conversation and discussion with Marcus, we talk all about how he got started. He actually went from zero to 70 gigs within about four years, which is insanely fast if you ask most speakers. Very impressive there. Uh, we talk about how he actually did that. We talk about how he determined his niche to market to, as especially as a, a new speaker getting started. He does a lot today speaking in the sales and marketing industry and niche. And so we talk about how he differentiates himself as a speaker and, and what he does on and off stage, uh, literally and figuratively, you'll hear here in a second. Uh, so we talk about that. We also talk about how to use content marketing to get speaking gigs. That's one of the things that Marcus teaches, in fact, is, is content marketing for companies in different spaces and industries. So we talk about how speakers can use content marketing and what Marcus recommends going forward, especially in 2017. Now, is it just a quick little housekeeping thing? Right at the end, his audio got a little garbled, garbled. And so we did our best to clean that up, but it made get a little fuzzy toward the end there. So just a little heads up on that. But we did our best and you can still, I think you can still hear pretty well enough to catch what he's talking about at the end. So anyway, thanks for listening. Let's get right into it. Here's our conversation with Marcus Sheridan. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Marcus Sheridan, who is known as the sales lion. It just sounds intimidating. There you go. I was, I was wondering <laughs> if you could throw something in there. This guy's been a really successful speaker. He's got a new book coming out as well. So excited to chat with him to hear his uh, story and journey about how he got into the business, how he's building his business today. So Marcus, what's up, brother? How are you? Yo, Grant, very excited to be here. Maybe I'll even say something of value to the audience, right? So it's going to be a fun time, bud. That's our anticipation and hope here. So first of all, let's start with kind of the big picture of what it is that you do as a speaker. How often are you speaking? Who are you speaking to? What do you speak about? What's kind of that overview? Yeah, I'd say I've been speaking now professionally, I would say for about five years. I think the total count in 2015 was... 76 gigs. And I think last year 
was somewhere in that same range. I didn't do an official count, but it was somewhere in that same range. I do a mix though. I do a decent amount of keynotes, a decent amount of workshops as well because I really enjoy the workshop setting. I enjoy a huge keynote, but there's also something very, very magical about the intimacy of 20 people and what you can do in three hours. Right. And uh, that doesn't float everybody's boat, but it definitely floats mine. And plus, because I have an agency where we do digital sales and marketing consulting, it just makes sense, right? To be able to have that intimate training with sales and marketing teams, a lot of fun. And I think it, you know, what's interesting to me, Grant, too, is how just because you're a good keynote doesn't make you a good teaching workshops. Totally. And vice versa. vice versa. Right. And so I think it's great to hone both skills and keep them at a high level. Right. Right. They're definitely different worlds. I would personally, I tend to lean toward more toward doing a keynote. I'm really good in like a 60 minute block. And beyond that, I'm, I get tired or worn out or whatever, but yeah, it's definitely, it's a totally different skill set and a totally different dynamic there. So have you always enjoyed doing both? I have, and I've actually had to learn more. I think I've had to adjust my style more with keynotes simply because So I've always been obsessive about asking questions to the audience. That's the way that I communicate. It's hard for me not to ask questions in a teaching setting. Right. And so it's not unusual. And this is one of the things that has made me really, really different too as well, I think, is the fact that I am, you know, I can be with 500 people and I will literally ask, I'll go into the crowd and I'll ask one person, a set of questions in front of 500 or a thousand people. The issue though with that is that you can't really do that once you get much more than a thousand people. It starts to, you you could lose the audience if you're too interactive. Tony Robbins kind of does this, but even still he's got all the, it's set up so that he can still have those intimate conversations, but it's still tough for the audience sometimes to even hang with Tony in that moment. With the workshop to me, If I teach a three-hour workshop, I have usually, let's say it's on digital marketing, I've got 150 set questions that I know that I'm going to ask during that time period. Right, right. It's definitely a different dynamic. And like you said, there's definitely pros and cons to both. So you mentioned that you did around 76 or so the past couple of years. That's a pretty rapid ascent. So like backing up even, what were you doing like in years one and two and three? Yeah, one and two and three. So um, is it okay if I talk... Yeah, is it a, well, I wasn't doing very many. I was probably doing single uh, first year, absolutely single digits. Okay. And can I tell you about my first gig? Yeah, please. So I was a pool guy and I still am. I, I, I own a swimming pool company, but it's about an hour of my time a week. And the reason why I became a, a speaker in the first place, frankly, is because of the Riverpool story. And we went from losing the company almost in 2008 to what it is today. Well, it is the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. It gets about a half a million visitors a month. And so what happened was that all happened in 2009. And in 2009, at the end of the year, I'm like, you know, it was was my birthday, November 2009. I said, I'm going to give myself a present. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to call it the Sales Lion because I like lions. (laughs) Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is like the first book I ever read. Nice. Like I love lions, right? And so I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this blog. I'm just going to write about these cool things that I'm doing with my swimming pool company. Well, nobody really listened, I think, for the first year or so. But then all of a sudden, I had a couple of companies say, hey, could you teach us how to do what you did with your swimming pool company? And then some conferences said, hey, can you come uh, teach that to us? But before any of that really got going heavy, I knew I wanted to speak. 
I knew it. And how'd you know so, that? Well, this goes back even further. This goes back even further than that. What happened was, what happened was the way that I found out is that when I was 19 years old, I was a missionary in Chile for my church. And by the end of my time there, my, like the president of my area that I was located in, he told me that I just had a way of communicating that was very, very rare. And um, I sensed it though, because the one thing that I sensed was I could explain complex things in a way that people could understand them easier than most people could. Right. And so I had, a, had I just had a, a, an astounding amount of success in Chile for the two years that I was there. Wow. And it all came down to this ability to teach. And by the end of my time there, he had me giving large talks um, presentations to the entire mission. There was a couple hundred missionaries and I would get in front of them and I would teach them principles of communication. In hindsight, I, I didn't realize, but I was teaching them commu- principles of communication and it was an amazing time in my life. And I was, when I finished, I was 21 years old, but then I became a pool guy and I didn't do any of that stuff, but sell in the home, sell swimming pools in the home for eight or nine, 10 years. Yeah. But that stallion in me wanted to come out. And so how I got my first gig was this. And I think this to me has always been a lesson. I don't even think I've shared it ever in a conference or an event. So I wanted to start speaking. And there was this one show in the swimming pool space, which is a national pool spa convention. All right. And so that was the big association event for swimming pool and hot tub retailers. So I said, I really want to speak here. Problem was... You had to be like above 40, pretty much. It was a bunch of, you know, above 40 white dudes that were all speaking in this industry. And I think I was like 31 years old at the time. And so I identified who the organizer of the conference was. And her name was Tracy Blue. And so I got her name and I got her office location. I got everything. And I went to the show. And I walked into her office and she said, um, hi, who are you? I said, hi, I'm Marcus Sheridan and I'm the best speaker you've never had. <laughs> and I said it just like that. And she started to laugh I and mean, she started laughing. She was, I was smiling when I said it. I didn't say it all cocky. I was like, I'm Marcus Sheridan and I'm the best speaker you've never had. And she said, really? I said, yes. She said, what can you speak on? I said, I can speak on anything you want. <laughs> It's like, I was so lucky because she said, could you speak on hot tub sales? I said, I will give you the best hot tub sales class you have ever had. She said, how do I know that? I said, I'm glad you asked. I brought this DVD and I did this DVD. This was our, like the DVD back when we used DVDs, we would send them out to people Mm -hmm. to learn more about our swimming pools. Okay. And so I did this nice production video. This is really ahead of its time. And I told her, I said, I did this on one take. And if you like what you see on this video, I promise you'll love me in front of your audience. She said, okay, we'll see. She said, how much? I said, how about this? If I crush it for you, we'll talk about money next year. And she said, okay. And I got a call two weeks later and I was the youngest speaker they ever had at that conference. And I spoke there the next five years. And that's what really started the career going forward. How did you go from, you know, you, you speak once a year at this pool conference just because it's, you know, you enjoy doing it and it's fun and it's in the industry that you're yeah. already in to going like, you know what? 
I think there's something here. You know, I think I might be able to do this because I think there's a lot of people that are in that spot that, you know, we've done some maybe some free things here or there, you know, at our church or chamber of commerce or some meeting at work and feel like, hey, I think I think I got something here to going like, no, I can actually do this because that's where so many people get stuck and they just feel overwhelmed and we get, you know, even the answer that you gave to the question, what do you speak about? What do you want me to speak about? Like, yeah, yeah. In hindsight, I'm yeah. sure, you know, that's a horrible answer, but it's it, a terrible uh, answer. it worked at I the time. So right, yeah. right, right. So how did you go from this has been fun for the past few years speaking at this industry convention to going, I can do this. And now what do I do? Yeah. So let me give you two main stories that changed my life. One time, again, I was speaking to a bunch of uh, swimming pool, fiberglass, in-ground pool dealers. It was a big dealer conference. And the head of the conference told me, he said, Marcus, I've seen you at this national pool spa. I know that you're really good. Would you just run the conference? And I guess there was about 100 dealers there. And I said, man, I'll be honored. I was so excited. Anyway, we ran the conference. I ran this event. And I gave this keynote at the end to everybody. And it was one of the most... It was like a spiritual experience, Grant. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was so much more than, you know, here's how you generate more leads on your website. It was so much deeper than that. And there was just people that were emotional and all this stuff. And anyway, when I was coming home on the plane with my business partner, Jason, who was an amazing man. He's my age. He looked at me and he said, you're not supposed to be a pool guy. You're not supposed to be teaching about pools. You're supposed to do more than that. And I think it's time for you to do it. And I just started to cry. Wow. Because how many business partners say that? And, but he sensed it. And he knew that I had to do, like there was this calling that I had to do more. And basically, he and my business, other, I had two total business partners with the pool company other than myself. They said, we will bridge you until you're able to make this a career. And that is such for me, that was actually wonderful, Grant, because I didn't have this financial gun to my head saying either make this work. And it was nice in that regard. And so that allowed me to build up the content on the sales line and start to have some momentum. But the magic didn't really occur until I got a chance invite. And it was a chance invite to content marketing world. And I guess it was in 2012. This was the first one. And I've been writing about HubSpot and HubSpot was a sponsor of Joe Polizzi's event mm -hmm. content marketing world. And Joe said, as a sponsor, you can have a 20 minute speaker slot. And they said, well, we've got this pool guy that is really great at telling our story. And how about you have him out? And so Joe Polizzi invited me out and he put me in a small room and he gave me 20 minutes and I had to share it with another speaker. And I was the only one. He didn't really know who I was. He didn't know who I was. But I did something that I never really do. The night before we had the opening invitation party, right? It was like the opening party get together. And I had all these speakers there that I had. These thought leaders were there. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is so exciting. The Jay Bears of the world. This is like really the first time he and I chatted face to face in real life. Right. And so I went up to all these people that I had respected and I thought the world of. And I said, my name's Marcus Sheridan and I'm speaking tomorrow. And I would be honored if you came. I would really be honored if you came. 
And so these people that I love, Michael Stelzner and CC Chapman and Ann Hanley and Mitch Joel, they came, they came. No pressure. And I literally gave the greatest 20 minute talk of my life, of my life. It was such that within the first half hour after giving the talk, I had six offers to speak at other events. And the other thing that led to was Joe Polizzi told me after the end of the show, he said, I had decided that whoever gets the highest rating as a speaker at the year's event, they will keynote the next year. So I went from sharing a small room and getting 20 minutes to speaking to almost 2,000 people the next year. That was my first big keynote. And that's really where my life just completely started to change. It's always interesting. Some of those like random chance type of events that you look back on. It's crazy. And I remember like one of the first big breaking points that I had um, was speaking at this random hole in the wall type conference and didn't think anything of it. it was paid peanuts. And the wife of the national director happened to be there. And right afterwards right. She, she called him and Hey, you need to have, and was on the national stage that fall. And it's just like, just this random chance type of moment. So how much of it do you think early on was just like taking any and every opportunity that you could just to get at bats and get your name out there and networking with other speakers? Well, I definitely was. I definitely was. I got rejected twice at Blog World, which was a big show back in the day. Yeah. And Blog World didn't take me in until they were one of the ones that were in that room for Content Marketing World. And it was just multiple examples of that. And so I got lots of rejections. I did lots of freebies. And I continued to tell the story. And that's one thing about it, Grant. It's like, you know, I think there's a lot of river pools-like companies that have done pretty cool things with digital marketing. But I just happened to tell one of the best digital marketing stories in the world. And that's the thing, I think, one of the major things that separated me from others that allowed me to gain so much momentum because, you know, frankly, it was my, it was never my goal to sound smart on stage. And I think this is such a flaw with a lot of speakers. They, they get on stage and they feel like they have to prove something. My singular goal when I get on stage is I want to have some type of communion with the audience in that moment. I want them to say, huh, that's, that's right. And if he can do it, why the heck are we not? I never want them to say that guy right there is a genius because that means they probably had to think too hard about the stuff that I was saying. I just want them to immediately be able to own it and say, we can run with this. We can do something with this. And the pool story is something that anybody can put their arms around. And I, I saw that early on and I tried to take out all the marketing and all the digital speak and make it something that people could just get. And that's why I think I've had so much success because the story resonates with non-technical people Mm -hmm. and it leads them to want to do things that they otherwise wouldn't have done. Even though they've heard a thousand times, we should be doing this from their CMO or from their, you know, what some marketing person in their company, they hear it from me. And because I wasn't trying to sound smart, because I wasn't speaking marketing speak or sales speak, they got it and it resonated and it stuck. How much of your success today do you think is attributed to having the pool company and having done it? And so it's not just, I'm not just speaking from a place of theory or ideas, but I've lived this and now I'm sharing that with you. Like how important has that been for you? Probably 80 to 90% of my success 
as a professional speaker. Do you find that the case with most speakers? No, no. There's plenty of speakers that do very, very well that haven't physically done much themselves. Yeah. They just happen to be better observers than most people in the world. Right. They happen to be better storytellers than most people in the world. And that's fine too. That's fine too. I don't begrudge. I, I used to begrudge that speaker because I would say, well, I mean, they haven't really done anything. Right, right. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. They have done something. They have mastered the ability to tell other people's stories better than they themselves tell it. And to give you an example, Seth Godin hasn't really, you know, personally in terms of experimentation like he did early on, he hasn't done much of that in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But what he's done so well over the last 10 years is he really tells other company stories well. And that's what we pay attention to. And that's why many people love Seth Godin. I don't have a problem with that. Also, don't have the problem with the Gary V's of the world that have done it and that are experimenting with it and that are killing it too. But I think there needs to be some credence to the person that's done it in this. There are a lot of people that, okay, here's where I have issues. I have issues with thought leaders that they haven't worked with a diversity of companies and they make just flat out recommendations that frankly aren't true. And see, the more you diversify who you've worked with, in terms of your teachings, the more you realize, man, that stuff I espouse on stage isn't always necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And see, most don't, and that's the issue if you're just a speaker. And by the way, I have no problem with somebody being just a speaker. But the reason why I have clients, big and small, some small businesses, some brands, the reason is I want to play in the sandbox and I want to keep the sword sharp. That's really important to me to be able to say, I am so in tuned with the marketplace. I'm not in a bubble and I'm not just, you know, it's easy to say this or that about millennials, for example. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's easy to talk about millennials until you have employees that are millennials and then you start to change maybe the tune. Maybe you agree more or less with the stereotypes, Yeah. but it changes when you work with them deeply. And so, you know, what's funny, and I got to say one more thing just on millennials. I got two companies. One is blue collar, one's white collar. One's college educated millennials that work for me. One is non-college educated millennials that work for me. And all the stereotypes for the most part that you hear are based on the white collar, college educated, not the blue collar. It's funny, but you see, most don't know that because they only consult with companies that have college-educated employees. Right, right. Interesting. So that, my friend, is a fact. Right. So how did you go then from doing, you know, an industry, a pool industry type of event to doing a content marketing world event to then going to 70 plus events a year? So because especially like in in your case, you're speaking largely on sales and marketing. And that's a big topic. And that's something that there's a lot of speakers that speak on that. So how did you differentiate yourself along the way? And then how did you go from a couple of random events to 70 plus a year? I think one of the biggest things that helped me is that it was a very unique experience when somebody saw me give a keynote to 500 people. So like you've experienced, Grant, the unfortunate thing about this business, and it's fortunate but unfortunate, the best way to sell gigs is to give gigs Mm -hmm. and to hope that the right people are in the audience. It's funny. People can watch you on video, and it's nothing like the live experience. So it's, It's not even close to the same effect. And I wish video 
was as effective because I do a ton of video. It's not as effective at selling your speaking services as people actually seeing you in the live. Now, with me, I'm probably one of the most truly interactive keynote speakers that you'll find. And so I will go in with the audience. I will have conversation. I will walk within the audience. And it becomes, especially with the right audience, ones that are not like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> they really get into it. And some people are just mesmerized by it. It's a polarizing style. And because it's a polarizing style, it's very memorable. It's not lukewarm. And it's not just, so what you find is, for example, if I get feedback forms, it's usually 90%, somewhere between 90, 95% are like one of the best speakers I've ever seen. Five to 10% are like, I don't like him. He makes me uncomfortable. And that to me is a win. That's a win. I'm okay with that because when I get on stage, I let the 5% go that don't want to play the game. And in this case, the game is I go out in the crowd and we have this great experience together and I'm talking to them. And that was one of the things that very quickly made me very different. And a lot of people went like, huh, even a lot of my speakers, friends, speaker friends to this day say, how do you do that thing when you go in the crowd and it doesn't blow up in your face? Right. Right. Yeah, because you're right. That is a very anytime you you involve the audience, that's a very risky move, and that you're sharing, uh, in some way, some of the power of being a speaker with that audience. And you never quite know where it's going to go. You're you're walking this tightrope with no net, and sometimes it's going to go perfect, and they're playing right into your hand. And sometimes they yep. say something or do something or just try to take control, and it just it may blow up. So I'm curious though, with that approach of saying, I'm going to be more than just standing on stage and being a talking head, but I'm going to involve and interact with the audience. Was that from the beginning, a kind of a conscious decision of here's how I'm going to differentiate myself from the thousands of other sales and marketing speakers, or was it more, that's just who I am. And it just kind of evolved into that. Like how did that kind of play out? Yeah, I realized that was my style at age 20. That was my style. And, and the weird thing about it is uh, the people that know me as just Marcus, the regular non-speaker guy, they think that that's not the real me, but that is how I communicate in that type of moments. That's for whatever reason, that's the way that I do it. And it's a very, yes, it's a very enthusiastic style, not jumping jacks, but you know, it's enthusiastic, but it's incredibly engaging. And it wasn't, I need to be this persona. It was literally who I was. And I had to, though, make a choice of, do I allow the people that don't like the style to to tone it down? I said, "Mm, no, 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 no. Just Marcus, pay attention well. Focus well on what's happening because I want to be aware of the marketplace. I want to be aware of, you know, I think some speakers are aloof of their performances sometimes, not definitely not all, but me, it's like, I have a very strong sense. I either killed that or I was off today. And so let's really consider why, why did you not resonate today? Like you can, or like you have in other places. Yeah. One of the things that you are known for, one of the things that you speak on is content marketing. And I'm curious how much of your speaking business today comes as a result of content marketing? How much like should speakers just in general at any stage, how much should we be paying attention to content marketing? And what would that even look like? You know, I, I think about, to me, content marketing is just teaching at a high level, a level that helps, a level that inspires, a level that answers questions. That's really all content marketing is to me for the most part. Sure, there's technical elements 
and I teach those technical elements. But most of us speakers, we try to get our message out. And I think, you know, to a speaker, I would say the same as I tell our clients. For example, video is video and visual, they're the future. And we have tried to get our clients to a place in 2017 that 50% of the content they produce is video-based content. And I believe that. I believe that every company should have a videographer. I am a speaker. I have a videographer because video is too important not to have. And I want to show the thing. And and I feel like at this point, if we don't show it, it doesn't exist. We can't just say we're funny. We have to show we're funny. You can't just say that you engage the audience. You have to show that you engage the audience. And the proof's in the pudding at this point. And I think What's, what's happening now, too, is like a lot of speakers in the past are like, I don't publish my stuff online because otherwise, why would they watch? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And that's not where we're headed as a people. Where we're headed as a people is I want to see it first. I want to validate that the risk is not nearly as high as it might be with other companies, persons, in this case, speakers. And then I want to use this person because I like them. I trust them. I've seen them in action. And so the smart ones, they try to show it everywhere they can. Like Scott Stratton, man, he's trying to show any place he can share his speaking. He wants it to be shared Mm because it's him. It's not like he's thinking, you know, this is IP and I can't have anybody watching this stuff. This is a very special talk that I give to a special audience. I don't buy into that at this point. Not in 2017. So in terms of the content that you're actually putting out, are you talking in terms of A lot of bits. A lot of bits. So I'll go to- Of your talks. I go to a- Yeah, but not from talks. I'll do a lot of just standing in front of the camera with textual overlays. And it's just me talking about stuff that's on my mind as that quote, thought leadership type of content, right? So anything has to do with digital or content or trends that I'm seeing. So I'm trying to get to the point where we've always been doing that with the blog, talking about content marketing, best practices, inbound marketing, best practices, tools, things like that. We do the podcast thing, which I love. But in terms of where we are now, we're just really upping our game with this video content. And that only happens when somebody owns video on your staff. You can't really, especially as a speaker, it's hard to be a great speaker and do a lot of great video. You need somebody just that can do it for you. But if you're outsourcing it all the time, that means you're limiting yourself. So just hire a videographer if you can. And you know, at this point, you can get a videographer that's coming out of college for thirty-five to forty-five thousand dollars a year in most places, and that's for what it, in for the impact it can have on your career. Now, a lot of people are saying, "Well, I don't give enough gigs yet." Okay, I understand that. So, hire somebody part-time and produce a ton of content that is visually based content that you're sharing on social, that you're putting on your website, that you're sharing with potential events as social proof, as visual proof. And take the time to do that and pay that person, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week to work with you for a few months until you produce that library of video-based content that allows you to really run a great, essentially, sales campaign through content with all the prospects to build your speaking career. I mean, that's where I would be at this point, and it's possible. And that's where we got to be. You can't do it. You can't sell yourself as a speaker really anymore just with text. I mean, you could, but it's very difficult. Right, right. On that note, you've got a, I know you've got a new book that's out that uh, just came out. They Ask, You Answer, Revolutionary Approach to Inbound Sales, Content Marketing, and Today's Digital Consumer. Give us the nutshell of what that's about, why you wrote it. 
Well, I wrote it because I believe there's a teacher within each one of us. And I believe when you give that vision to organizations, it's amazing what can happen to the collective and to the individual from a financial ROI perspective, but also from a cultural perspective. That to me is the essence of content marketing. That's the essence of inbound. And it really is the story, not just of Riverpools and how we went from looking over the financial precipice to becoming the most traffic swimming pool website in the world to a financially successful company that's now B2B and B2C, but how we've had all these case studies since that time of companies that have embraced that philosophy of the ask you answer. The ask you answer is the willingness to address every question from your prospect or customer on your digital platforms. It's the willingness to meet them where they want to be met. In other words, if they want to buy things a certain way, you say, well, is it possible that we sell it that way? If they want to you know, consume content in a particular way? Is it possible that you deliver it in that manner? Gone are the days where we can say, well, I don't like video, so I'm not going to do video. It's just not fair. Mm -hmm. So they ask you answer is the willingness to meet them where they are, wherever that is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's going to make you, as Godin would say, a purple cow. And man, it's the cool thing about the book too, is that it's half sales, half marketing. Too many content marketing books are about just marketing. And that's why we have the biggest problem in that space, frankly, is buy-in. I mean, if I had a dollar for every email I've gotten from frustrated marketers that said, I believe in digital, I believe in content, I believe in inbound, but when I go to my leadership team, when I go to my sales team, I just get stonewalled and I'm frustrated and I'm thinking about leaving the company. If I had a dollar for every one of those emails, Grant, I'd be a rich dude. I really, really would. And that's the number one email that I've gotten over the course of six years. And so I've tried to eliminate that email, man. I'm trying to eliminate the silos and to really achieve this thing called uh, sales and marketing alignment. And it's possible with this book. It's an easy read. It's very tactical. You're going to get a lot out of it. And I'm excited about it, man. Awesome. Congrats, man. We'll be sure and link up to that in the show notes. I got one final question for you. This is something I did not prep you on. I I like to not prep speakers for this one. But I uh, I want you to tell us about a story where it couldn't be worse than this. All right. So as a speaker, you have plenty of those experiences that go really, really well. And then there's also those moments where either you bomb or uh, something just bizarre, weird happens with the client or in the audience. You got anything? Uh, Tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. Got a great one for you. So, and the great thing is already led into this. So remember how I said I got the big keynote for content marketing world? Right, right. And so I got to ponder that keynote for over a year to these, you know, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people, my first big keynote. I was so excited about it. And so I prepared this keynote, thought so much about it. And the day came and I delivered the keynote. And something happened at the end. All of a sudden, Joe Polizzi in front of over 1,500 people walked up on the stage and said, Marcus, you're over by 15 minutes, man. You got to finish now. Like cut you off? He didn't cut me off. He came up on stage. The lighting was so bad in the room that he wasn't able to get my attention. There wasn't a time clock, so I didn't know that I was over. Yeah. I did not time it nearly as well as I should have. Wow. First time that I gave this talk. And so I quickly finished the talk. And I have never, ever been so embarrassed in my life. Wow. And I can remember the feeling of those 2,000 people leaving the room. I sat by myself on the keynote stage and I cried right there because I thought this was your big shot. 
and you, my friend, blew it. You disrespected the audience's time, the organizer's time, and that's just inexcusable. I have never ran party on a speech again. And Joe was immediately forgiving. And he said, think nothing of it. But, but um, it had, had a major impact on me. I feel, 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 it, feel it physically to this day, but I felt, I felt after, after that moment. Wow. Crazy, crazy, man. Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. And I think it's always important to note that there's, you know, uh, hopefully the majority of the talks that we give do really, really well. Uh, but there's always going to be those that you're like, gosh, dang it, that did not go according to plan and learn the lesson and move on. So, hey, man, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? Yeah, of course, you can find me directly at marksmarkets.com. You can check out check out on Amazon. Amazon just they ask they ask you to right out on the Twitters. At the sales line. so much, sir. Good to have you on, brother. Well, we appreciate the time. We'll chat again soon. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marcus Sheridan. Again, you can find more information about Marcus over at thesaleslion.com, thesaleslion.com. And again, like I mentioned, you definitely want to check out this new guide that we have. You can find over at thespeakerlab.com slash guide, thespeakerlab.com slash guide, where you will find seven steps on how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So you definitely want to check that out. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 117. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.